While preparing, I've discovered uh, for all kinds of conditions is uh, part of what it means to be a competent sailor. And I have to say, I say that knowing that I myself am not a competent sailor. But I've learned that despite my novice status that sailing on the open ocean is not a benign sport at all. In fact, understanding the basics like navigation, trimming, types of sails, knots, course, managing lines, safety procedures, on and on and on and on and on are all very fundamental. And in my experience, when I've sailed with friends who are very seasoned, beautiful days on the ocean became more beautiful and the nasty days became less threatening. And on windy days, boy, could we move across the water fast, all because people other than me knew what to do to take advantage of the conditions. And on terrible days with rain and big swells, we could let go of angst and instead simply remain vigilant and do what needed to be done. And the bottom line is to enjoy sailing, to survive sailing, to experience all there is to experience when sailing, being clear on what to do is vital. And as I thought about this, I thought too that to enjoy life, to survive what life throws at us, and to fully experience what life has to offer, being spiritually clear on what we need to do is also pretty fundamental. In response, I believe that what we're called to do in life day in and day out is to use a very specific prayer given to us by Jesus and to turn to that prayer day in and day out. God invites us to express the words of the prayer I will get to in a moment with conviction, intent, resolve, and in every circumstance, good and bad. And by using the prayer that we're going to dig into, I believe like a sailor on the open sea, we will end up enjoying the sunny days of life more fully and be clear on what to do when the nasty swells of life broadside us. Well, there's a word that elicits all kinds of reactions from people. The word in question carries connotations for many of us, some positive, others perhaps the opposite. And the word that I'm speaking about is the word radical. And when I say the word, some of us likely have images of figures from history. Others of us envision scenes of upheaval or change. But I actually think that the word radical is a great word to think about when it comes to our walk with Jesus. One definition of radical I appreciate as it relates to our walk with Christ defines radical as something that relates to or affects the fundamental nature of who we are. Something that affects the fundamental nature of who we are. Something far-reaching and thorough. And with this definition in mind, I would say that the Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most radical thing that you and I can utter. It is radical because if we take it seriously, if we live by it, if we commit to it, however imperfectly, if we turn to it day in and day out, the fundamental nature of who we are will be affected in amazing ways. The impact of the Lord's Prayer is far-reaching if we take it seriously, and I believe it offers you and me a path through the good and the terrible in life. So this week and next week, I'm going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer by breaking it down 
in order to explore just how radical it is and how we can use it each and every day with conviction and intent. Now we know that Jesus was a master of prayer. If you read about his life in the Gospels, we find that he prayed all the time. He prayed when there were transitions going, in, going on in life, like when he was baptized or he asked people to join his team. He prayed when he was overcome, overcome by too much to do. He prayed when he had big decisions to make. He prayed about other people. He prayed about himself. He prayed when he was in pain. He prayed when he suffered. He prayed alone. He prayed with others. He prayed when it was light. He prayed when it was dark. He prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And one day when this master of prayer, Jesus, was teaching, and he was saying a lot of things, he interrupted his teachings and he said, listen up. When you pray, this is the way to pray. In fact, here are some very specific words to pray. And pray these words, and when you do so, remember that God already knows what you need. And it is here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, and in a more succinct version in Luke's Gospel, that Jesus gave his disciples and gives us what are perhaps the most radical words of prayer that exist. Now, as an aside, at least for me, I know that prayer can be tough, challenging, and confusing. I understand that sometimes we wonder if our prayer makes any difference at all. I also believe that we want to love God, and I believe that we want to be more and more like Christ in how we live. I think that we want to do what is right in life. We want to do what is best for everyone, and I believe that we seek continual guidance for God, from God. And my hunch is that all of us here today want the world to be a far better place than it is at the moment. Well, the Lord's Prayer helps us in each of these wants and hopes and dreams. The Lord's Prayer is not only radical, but it is upending and demanding. And while there is no human way possible to fulfill what we are asking for in this prayer, by praying it, we will change day by day, by day, and our lives will become so much more meaningful and faithful. So let's dig in and explore the prayer. The prayer begins with the phrase, Our Father. And when Jesus spoke to God, he referred to God as Our Father. In fact, Father was the word he used more than any other word when referring to God. And the word Father in Greek in the New Testament is the word pater, which means one who nourishes, sustains, and protects. Jesus also used the word Abba, which is a very intimate term that conveys closeness. And for Jesus, the word Father represented not only that Jesus felt very close to God, but that God was completely trustworthy, solid, a foundation to be depended upon through anything, that God was strong and unbreakable. For Jesus, the word Father represented God who led the people of Israel out of 400 years of slavery into the Promised Land. For Jesus, the word Father meant the one who keeps commitments. And as one person writes, when Jesus used the word Father, it's because he understood that Father conveys not just intimacy, but revolution, not just familiarity, but hope. Revolution in the sense that God is a God who changes everything and rights every wrong. One writer also notes that when Jesus said Father, it was as if Jesus was asking God to be God's apprentice. 
In other words, for God to teach him to be like God in response to people and the world. Now, it's important also to remember that in Scripture, God is sometimes described as mother. In Isaiah, for example, the prophet writes that just as a nursing mother cannot forget her child, God will not forget us. And then in Luke's gospel, Jesus says how he wishes he could gather up people like a mother hen. And when Jesus referred to God as father, it's not because Jesus thought God is gendered. God, of course, is neither male or female. Rather, for Jesus, father was a term he used because it conveyed many of the important meanings about his relationship with God, some of which I just shared. Now, this is an important quick aside. I've learned in well over 20 years of ministry that we need to be sensitive to the fact that for some people and some among us, the image of father is horrific. Some have suffered in unspeakable ways at the hands of their human fathers. And because of this, the image of God as father is not helpful. It's not a good image. And you and I are compelled to be sensitive and caring toward those that feel this way. This is not being politically correct in order to avoid gender-based language. This is being sensitive to the pain and the suffering and the agony of those who have suffered at the hands of their human fathers. And so for those for whom that's the case, I encourage you to use the word Lord or God or some other word instead of Father that conveys the things that it conveyed to Jesus. Remember for Jesus, the term Father, for him and for some of us today, the term connotes all the good things as a father should be. So the takeaway from this When we say those two short words, our Father, in the Lord's Prayer, think about what we're saying. Think about what we're acknowledging. We are acknowledging not only to whom we're praying, but we're acknowledging the fundamental nature and the characteristics of the one to whom we're praying. When we say our Father, what we're saying is, God, I know I can count on you no matter what. When we're saying our Father, we're saying, I want to be as close to you as a child is to a parent. When we're saying our Father, we are seeking intimacy with God and a personal relationship with God. We're saying that God is rock solid, dependable, and the one we can count on. We're saying that God is the source of our lives day in and day out. We're saying, like Jesus did, that we seek to be God's apprentices. So I encourage you, when you say the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, dear God, our Father, dear Lord, gracious God, whatever it is, that you think about what it is that you are really saying. I trust you. I count on you. I know you will do what you say. And I'm going to go on and praying, knowing that I believe all this. In the prayer, we next find who art in heaven or who is in heaven. Or in the New Testament in Greek, it reads the one in the heavens. Now, this topic is vast, but let's look very briefly at what Jesus was meaning here in this prayer. Now, heaven in the Lord's Prayer means the place where God dwells, where we go when we die. Heaven is clearly a far better place in this current world, Scripture makes clear. It's paradise. It's special. It's astonishing. It's wonderful. It's beyond human description. It's beyond our words. It's where there is no suffering, no tears, where we will have heavenly bodies, not earthly bodies, thank God. It is the place that Jesus said he goes before us to prepare a place for us. And while I could go on, what Jesus was getting at when he said, who art in heaven, is that God resides in an incredible place. And when we pray, we are invited to bring the mind, the beauty, and the wonder of what lies ahead for each of us. 
Heaven is where we are headed, and we acknowledge this in the Lord's Prayer when we are praying. Heaven is where we are headed. So in essence, saying who art in heaven is a statement of profound hope that we are making in the midst of prayer. A statement that we have every reason to have hope when it's all said and done, that everything is going to be more than okay. Now, despite this, that God is in heaven, remember, obviously, that God's Spirit is also within each of us now through the Holy Spirit. So while God is indeed in heaven, actually God is everywhere, so there is no place that God is not. That said, Jesus uses heaven here in this prayer, I believe, again, as a statement of incredible hope that eternity, not nothingness, is ahead. And when we say who are in heaven, it can serve as a reminder to each of us that good, not bad, wins in the end. So let's put together what we said just far, thus far, our Father who art in heaven. When we're saying this, we're basically saying in these few short words, God, again, I can completely trust you. I count on you. You do what you say. You keep commitments. You guide me. You teach me. You lead me. You protect me. You are a rock. You are powerful. You'll get me through anything. I want to be close to you. And you're in an amazing place, a place where I'm headed. Pretty astonishing connotations of what we're saying with just those first few words. So Jesus invites us to keep these things in mind when we utter just these first few words of the prayer. Jesus next says, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name. And this simply conveys awe, reverence, praise, wonder, worship, holiness. Jesus is inviting us to say, after we've said all that I've just said, God, I worship you. I praise you. You are awesome. I revere you and thank you. And by using this phrase in the midst of this prayer, Jesus reminds us that we are to praise and worship God wherever we are, but specifically in the midst of the Lord's Prayer. So the last part of the prayer we're going to get into today is your kingdom come. And it is here that the prayer begins to truly get upending and radical especially if we pay attention to what we're really praying for and asking for to get into this we need a definition of god's kingdom something i've spoken about many times but god's kingdom is a place a time a space when everything is as it should be it is where god prevails it is where and when love and wonder and kindness and compassion and humility and joy and service and selflessness and justice prevail without exception. It is the space, the time, the place, God's kingdom, when there is no illness, no heartache. It is, as one person, the time, the space, when everybody is equally loved and valued where there is widespread and complete integrity and mercy and faithfulness and forgiveness. And in essence, when we are praying for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for heaven on earth. Think of everything that is right in the world right now. Such things reflect and give us a taste of something of what God's kingdom looks like. Think of everything that is wrong right now. That sheds light on the gap between where we are and how God wants things to be. 
And as one person writes, when we ask for God's kingdom, we are asking for God to turn us into his kingdom builders, making everything is as it should be. And I love what the writer John Ortberg has to say about all this. He really turns the heat up on this. He writes in excerpts and slight adaptations. He says, when we pray for God's kingdom, we are declaring to everybody, I am ready to take on the cause of Christ. I am ready to suffer for the cause of Christ. I am ready to endure whatever is necessary to follow and be like Christ. That's what we're saying when we say, thy kingdom come. He also goes on to write with slight adaptations, when we pray your kingdom come, we are asking that God's kingdom break into our lives and that God will have full rule of our lives. We are praying that we will hold nothing back from God. And he goes on to write, this is the most powerful, dangerous, transformational thing we could ever possibly ask God for. We are asking God, he goes on to write, not only to break into our lives, but to break into the whole world. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we are asking God to break into every human system and structure we are asking God to break into every political system, every economic system, every national system. We're asking God to break into everything that is on earth. Your kingdom come as, earth, as it, on earth as it is in heaven. That's pretty radical. Ortberg then states, since this is what we're praying for, we're compelled to ask ourselves, what kingdoms in our own lives, the kingdoms of our own health, the kingdoms of our relationships, the kingdoms of our career, money, family, church life, what do I need to yield my own kingdom for God's? I take Jesus' words in this prayer seriously. And I think that Ortberg's description is spot on. Jesus did want the kingdom to arrive on earth. It's why he showed up. But as I thought about this prayer, and specifically, your kingdom come, I've had to ask myself, not because I feel bad about it, but I've I've had to ask myself, God, when I say your kingdom come, to what degree do I really mean it? Am I ready for that? Do I really want God's kingdom to arrive knowing the many, many changes I would have to make in my own life right now to live into God's kingdom? Am I willing to upend my life to the degree to which this prayer is calling for, to align all my kingdoms with the kingdom that I'm asking to come upon earth? Or as Paul writes in a letter, are we willing to fit every thought, emotion, and impulse into a life shaped by Christ? So what I'm talking about, is this impossible for us to do? Absolutely. (laughs) But it's what we're asking for and striving for when we say, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the point of this is not to make us feel bad or inadequate or guilty or falling short in some way. The point, rather, is to highlight what it is that we're really asking for when we say to God, your kingdom come. 
We are asking God to take over our lives. We are asking God to help us yield our lives so that our lives will fundamentally be different each and every day from the inside out, from what they would be if we weren't asking for such a thing. And there's no doubt, since God is love, that the more we yield to God and the more we ask for God's kingdom to prevail, the more astonishing our lives will become. Back to the writer N.T. Wright, he states the following about this. He says, when we pray thy kingdom come, it means we're willing to see the world in binocular vision. It means we're willing to see the world with the love of the creator for his spectacularly beautiful creation. It means that we're willing to see the world, on the other hand, with the deep grief of the creator for the battered and battle-scarred state in which the world now finds itself. And when we pray thy kingdom come, we are praying for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil and for heaven and earth to be married at last. And if we pray this way, we must, of course, be prepared to live this way in which love is the essence of our being. So thus far, we've looked at the following concepts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. I've said those words sometimes too quickly. But based on what we've touched upon, here's what the Lord's Prayer might sound like, just using my own language, if we're getting at what we really mean when we're saying these words that Jesus gave us. It might sound something like this, to me anyway. It might sound, dear God, I count on you. You are rock solid. You know everything about me. I want to be close to you because I know you're close to me. You nourish me. You guide me. I trust you. I want to learn from you. I want to follow you. I want to, I, I want to believe and know that you do what you say you will do. And God, you are everywhere, but I know that you are in heaven, just like one day I will be in heaven. And when things are good or bad, I need to remember that in the end, everything is going to be more than okay. And God, I worship you, I love you, I praise you, I'm in awe of you, you are amazing. And God, I try to run my own life. I know that I have my little kingdoms, my belief systems, the ways that I act, the ways that I relate to other people, that are not always necessarily lined up with what your kingdom looks like. But I know that I want your kingdom because your kingdom is all about the love of you and each other and ourselves. And I want to be part of making my life and everything around me as you want it to be. Things are not always as they should be in my life. And in many ways, this world is messed up and far from what it should be. But I pray that your kingdom will come here now. Make me a part of it all. Help me let go and release what is getting in the way of your kingdom in my life. Help me do whatever it is I need to do to make your kingdom happen. Pretty potent. So next Sunday I will get into the rest of the prayer and put it together as a whole. But again, I believe that the Lord's Prayer is the most transforming, upending, potent, life-changing wonderful, invitational, and even radical thing we can say to God because it will bring about the lives that God wants for each and every one of us, which are astonishing and wonderful. So to close today in prayer, 
I'm going to invite us just to each kind of repeat over and over and over the words that we have touched on. And I'll get us started, but as you yourself pray the words of the prayer, just pay attention to what comes up. Sense if there are any little nudges or things that capture your attention. And if so, just focus on those things and pray to God about them. And next week we'll continue, but for now, I just invite you to quietly and repeatedly say the words, just the words we've talked about, just the words, I'll, I'll say them twice. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And I'll say them one more time, just those parts of the prayer, and again, just pay attention to them as you say them quietly in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and let us pray.